or the Bible answered five very important questions. And those questions were, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the Bible answers that and says, no one. Amen? No matter what you're going through, if God is for you, if you're on his side, then nothing is going to be able to conquer you because Jesus is with you. And then the second thing is, uh, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? In other words, God desires to bless us. And not in the way that some people may think that blessings are, because some blessings in this world will ruin us. But the blessings of God will never ruin us. He gives us unending love, unending peace, patience, self-control, faithfulness, and things that money can't buy. Amen? We answered the question, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? In other words, who's going to come at you and just bring false accusations against you? And, and the answer is, if God has set you free and made you right, no one can bring a charge up against you. And then the, la the, the, the fourth one was, who is going to condemn you? Who will condemn you? How many of us at times live in or walk in condemnation? And you feel horrible about yourself. And when you realize that Jesus took our condemnation on the cross so that we could be free from it, then you don't have to live like that anymore. You can live with your head up high. In fact, the Bible says that he's the lifter of our heads. And when you're living your life with him lifting your head, you won't live in a depressed state. And then the, the last one is, who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? He said, no one. You're loved. Even when we do things that are unlovable, God loves us. As Mike said and during praise and worship, his love is unconditional. He loves us despite ourselves. And there's nothing greater than that. And so that's where we ended last week in chapter 8. And so now we're moving into chapter 9. And here's the thing about chapter 9, 10, and 11 is it, Paul goes, or the Holy Spirit needs Paul to go from, from uh, uh, who shall separate you from the love of God to a, 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 a three chapters. But remember that it, the Bible, when it was written, it wasn't like Paul said, oh, this is chapter 9. Or this is chapter 10. No, he was writing. People have put those chapter breaks as the Bible has been given to us. And so in his writing... You would think he would have gone straight into chapter 12. Because in chapter 12, he says, therefore, I urge you that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Right? Because if God loved us and no one can separate us from that love, let's just start moving forward and start walking our walk. But the Holy Spirit quickened Paul to think about Israel. And for three chapters, he talks about the nation of Israel. And these chapters can be very complex. And sometimes it even separates people in the church. I think it never should. Amen? So I want for us to read the chapter, and I want for us to kind of see what the Lord is speaking to us um, from his perspective. He loves his people. Amen? And we found, and, and as, as we go through this, we, we, we have seen in, in uh, Romans that God has brought people, and even, even Abraham, he didn't bring him into the fold by his 
By Abraham's own righteousness, he imputed righteousness onto Abraham because he believed God. And so the whole thrust of these three chapters is people of God are people who trust in God, who believe. Amen? Who have faith. And that's what I want you guys to kind of hold on to. I'm going to pray as we go into this chapter. Because I want for the Lord to be with us as we look at it. Father, thank you for this wonderful gathering that we're having in first service. As we open up your word, as always, I pray that you will just illuminate it to us. That we will see it clearly and give us an understanding. Father, as I speak the things that I prepared, I pray that your blessing will be upon me. And uh, that, that everything that I say will be for one reason. And that will be to glorify you and and, uh, and that your word will also come through me as your vessel clearly. And the things that I've prepared, that they'll be clear as well. And that they'll be life-changing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, from these five questions, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write about the Jewish people. And the Apostle Paul's heart was hurting because he witnessed their rejection of Jesus. That's important to know. Paul was having major opposition from the Jews. And uh, more importantly, we see that God's heart was broken as he witnessed their rejection of the Messiah. So how do we know that? Well, we can see this. It's evidenced in, in, in Matthew. It's evidenced in the Gospels. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus cries out and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. So he's talking about Old Testament times that, that God's uh, messengers, his prophets, have gone to the people of Israel and they've rejected him time and time again. Now this is important because Jesus said, how I have wanted to gather your children because Jesus is, the, is the, the beginning and the end. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's saying, I'm here now. I'm in person. And not only have you rejected me in the past, but you're rejecting me now. So his lament reveals the love of God for his people. And chapter 9 of Romans helps us to understand this better. I titled this, today's message, God's Selection of Israel. Because I think that's important. Because people don't select God. We're not smart enough. God called Abraham out of Ur. In other words, God chose him and said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. It's the same thing with us. He brought us to church today. The Lord, the Holy Spirit works on our hearts and he draws us to him and thank him for that. What I've seen in this chapter of the Bible is the sovereignty of God. We live in a world and a society that teaches us that no one will tell us what to do and no one will tell us how to live. But God's people understand different. We know that God is sovereign and his ways are always better than man's. We're going to go to Romans chapter 9. And I was going to read 5 through 30, which is almost the whole chapter. So I thought, I'm going to read the whole, ch the whole chapter. And... Uh, from that, I'm going to use four points to describe God's selection of Israel and also to, for us to see really when he's talking about selection and, and all of Israel 
um, which we're going to really look at in depth in chapter 11, uh, we, we will see what he's talking about, okay? So let, let's read uh, verse 1. And it's not going to be on the PowerPoint, but you can follow along until I get to verse 5. So Paul says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter, utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Notice he's saying, not only my heart, not only my conscience, but the Holy Spirit is also with me when I say this. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. That's an amazing statement. He said, I would rather just be anathema. I would be cut off from the things of God if, I could, if my people would get saved. That's how much he loved his countrymen. They are the people of Israel, verse 4, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. Remember in Mount Sinai, uh, God revealed his glory to Moses. And many times he re revealed his glory to the children of Israel. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Notice that. God gives us, and I'm putting it in, in today's terms, but he gives people the uh, privilege to worship him. It's a privilege to be able to worship the living God. And then verse 5, uh, Abraham, <coughs> Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned because he was born the son of man. He came in human form from the line of Joseph came to David, the Davidic line, and all the way up to, to, uh, to Adam, we see in Luke. And to, from, to Abraham, we see in, in Matthew. Amen? And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So he's the son of man, and he's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? Now, this is important right here. And we're going to look at it even deeper right now. Has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Very important statement right there. Amen? Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. That's important. Are you guys gears turning? For God has had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And, and this is important right here because Paul is dealing with the New Testament church, but he's talking to them from an Old Testament confirmation. He's saying, this has already happened. I'm, gonna, I'm going to prove to you exactly what this means. And then verse 10, this, this son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born... Before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Wow. That gives us hope. 
But when, when, when you were slinging, when you were doing your thing, when you, were, you, know, you weren't even thinking about God, he was saying, I got a plan for you, James Graves. You think you're having fun now? It's misery. I have a plan. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. In fact, one translation says, I hated Esau. Verse 14, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. And raise your hand if you're thankful that he has shown us compassion. So it is God who, who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Do you see the reasoning here? How Paul, you guys have maybe asked the same question, right? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction. Notice the word there, destruction. Amen? He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who, he prepare, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So notice that. Notice the selection part. Amen? Someone say something. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are like thinking right now. You're like, huh? <laughs> you're in the 10 foot of water. You're not in the baby pool right now, okay? Concerning the Gentiles, God says in his prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will now, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. That's the Mexicans. The Asians, the Gentiles, right? All of us, Caucasians, and every, every one of us capirotados that we are. And then, and then at the place where they were told, you were not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. If I had my Bible in front of me, I'd circle that. Because I don't think a lot of people really look at that. Right? For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's army had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Okay? Does that give us a little bit of understanding? Verse 30. What does this all mean? Don't you just love it? Answer my question. What does this all mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith 
that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So there's four things from this very, very, very pointed chapter that I see that can maybe help us in some understanding. The first thing that I want to say, the first point, is that God's word never fails. I think we need to establish this truth first because there was a question from the church in Rome. They were questioning, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? Think about it, beloved. Think about this. Here's, here's the church in Rome. And they're growing. There's a lot of things happening, good things. And a lot of the Israelites, a lot of the Jews are rejecting the message of God. Some Jews, maybe many, were being saved. But the Gentiles were being saved in groves. And so the Jews had this Old Testament message, and they're thinking, well, you know, what about us? What about the Israelites? You know, we have all these things. Paul begins to explain, and, and they're asking, you know, the, the, the Gentiles, or someone might be saying, well, did, did God's word fail? Did it, what, what happened to the Israelites? And he says this, he says, no, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Their question was insinuating or implying, did God's word fail? But the Bible teaches us a very important distinction. And the distinction is this, that there's national Israel and there's spiritual Israel. The people of natural descent and the people of spiritual descent. The Bible confirms this when Jesus is talking to this man called Nicodemus. And he was, well, let me even rewind. Let's, before we go to Nicodemus, let's, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's baptizing many people. All these people were Jews. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the re religious leaders, they would come. Now let's read what it says about this. John the Baptist, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, to coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them, you brood of snakes, or you brood of vipers, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. He's saying there is something that has to happen in each man, whether you're, a, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. There has to be a heart change, and the only way that that heart change will happen is with a born-again experience. What he was saying is don't let your natural heritage get in the way of your spiritual need. Jesus, as he talks to Nicodemus, he, this, is, this is the account right here. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, which means teacher. 
We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on after Nicodemus says, how am I going to enter into my mother's womb? He goes on and he says, Jesus says this, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus confirms the need of a spiritual lineage that goes beyond any natural descent. Remember, he was talking to a religious leader who was a Jew. God's word never fails. It reveals the purposes of God. Last week, we learned that God causes, this is so cool right here. Last week, we learned that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose for them. When you're going through a difficult time and you tell God how he's going to work it out, can I tell you something? You're not in charge. In fact, we ruin it. when we. Tr Have you tried to bail your loved ones out of stuff and not let God do it? We ruin it. The Bible says that he will cause uh, everything to, 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 let me read it. <laughs> he will, go to that scripture, please. Thank you, Peter. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who are, to, for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then look at this. I just, I just love how, how, how this puts it together. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now that, that verse right there, it just kind of... It just, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a blow-you-out-of-the-water verse. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. There's not even a doubt about that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's Jesus. And then we get to this place, and he says, he, he says he, uh, so that the Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. But it, but it tells us that Jesus came and he identified with mankind. He identified with us so that he, he would even become our brother and our Lord and our God. And, and even greater than that, so that we could be in the lineage of God's family. Are you with me? I mean, I'm proud to be a reef, but I'm a lot prouder to be a child of God. And so that's exactly what is going on right here when, he, when, when he's talking about this. In everything, God is working out his purposes because he's God. And because he, he's God, he knows who his children are. And our lineage to the Father is not one of ethnicity, but of spiritual transformation through faith in Christ Jesus and the born-again experience. This is sovereignty in God's purposes. You see, God is sovereign and he's working out his plan. I, I know that. Because there was five of us, five friends at a party when I questioned, God, are you there? I had never thought before I went there that I was going to be thinking, God, are you there? I thought I was going to be thinking, give me another Budweiser. Give me another shot of tequila. 
But that day, because of God's sovereignty, the Holy Spirit moved on my heart. Here's the reason I say that, beloved, because why didn't the other four say the same thing? Because God chooses people. And he chooses people because he wants us to make a difference and bring other people to him. That's called the sovereignty of God. If I would have known back then that I would be a preacher, I would have ran, driven 15 states to get away like Jonah. Are you with me? The sovereignty, there is sovereignty in God's purposes, even in his choosing of Jacob, who became Israel. You see, Isaac and Rebekah and Esau would find this out. They would find out that there's a sovereignty in God. The Bible says, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad. Hold on to that right there. You, if you're thinking that it's by what your good works that you are in good standing with God, you better hold on to that verse. She received, that's Rebecca, she received a message from God. And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Well, if I, uh, if I go to church, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the, the walls will cave in. You're not bad enough for that, buddy. You're not bad enough for that. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. And that was not the custom of that day. The older son had the birthright. God's purposes would be fulfilled and through the family line of Jacob, the Messiah would be born to the world. You see, can I tell you something, beloved? God's word never fails. God never makes a mistake. When God saves you, it's because God saved you. Quit trying to save yourself. Point number two. God is just in his sovereign choices. We've already settled that God is sovereign. His purposes are always right. Why? Why are God's purposes always right? Because he's God. He's not scratching his head in heaven right now thinking, oh my goodness, look at the people. Can you believe the administration? I think we forget that sometimes. God is working out his plan. He is stirring his people. He's changing his people. I have seen God do more in an individual than I could ever do in them in a hundred years. The question that was being asked by the Roman church or many today you may ask, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is God unjust? Why did, why, did, why did this Jacob guy get the birthright? Yeah. They start asking that question at a young age. 
It's called humanity. And he, the Holy Spirit working through Paul, because this is not Paul's writing. This is the Holy Spirit working through a man. It's the word of the living God. So when people ask, is God unjust? The Bible says, not at all. People are always accusing God of being unfair. But God is not unfair. In fact, he's the only one who has no bias at all. God has no prejudice, no racism in him, nothing. He, he is fair, he is pure, he's perfect. But he's sovereign. In fact, as God revealed his glory to Moses, he said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then Paul he, 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 he reiterates this in Romans 9, 15. But this comes from Exodus 33, 19. No one will tell God whom he can forgive or, or who he can be merciful to and compassionate to. This can happen in the church. This is helpful to me. God, it's okay for you to forgive um, Russ, but how can you forgive Jack? Because the blood of Jesus is greater than my opinion. And his sovereignty is perfect. God's purpose from the very beginning was to redeem the world through his son, Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, even when you read the Old Testament, I want you to think like this, beloved. From the very beginning, God had a plan to redeem the world through Jesus Spiritual Israel will embrace the grace of God while those who live in the natural will always try to earn the right standing with God. Those who are born again, those, when you're born again, you will see the things of God. You will enter into the kingdom. In our, nat in our natural man, in our flesh, we never will. And that's exactly what he was trying to prepare even in, in natural Israel or national Israel. And that's exactly his plan now because if you think about it, beloved, who were the first converts being born again? They were Jews. Amen? Are you with me? The church started in Jerusalem. Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his, his followers, who were all Jews, he says, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive the promise. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea. Then you're going to go out to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to those Gentiles. But the most important thing that they were going to preach is that you need to be born again. In God's sovereignty, he's working out his plan. He used Pharaoh's stubbornness to fulfill his purposes. The Bible reveals this truth in Exodus 5, and this, this is what I want you guys to grab a hold of. And, and I want you to do some homework today. I want you to go home and I want you to read a little bit, okay? 
But if you look at Exodus 5, you see that Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. And I'm going to read the account. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then in Romans we read in verse 18 that Paul said he hardens whom he wants to harden. But I love the way the Bible scholar Leon Morris put it. He said this, and I, and I just love it. Neither here nor anywhere else is God said to harden anyone who had not first hardened himself. Hmm? Sometimes we see the miracles of God. Sometimes we see the goodness of God and people still harden their hearts. I thought I had that on the PowerPoint, Peter. Is it, is it there? It might not be. This is so very important to understand as we look at the context of Israel. It helps us to understand that as people harden their hearts toward God's purposes, God will allow their hearts to be hardened. Point number three, another important thing. God is the potter, and we are the clay. One of the things that we see in chapter 9 is the reality that God is in control. I'll never forget when I went to Arkansas on a vacation. We went to this one uh, place and they, a potter was there, a master potter. And he was sitting in front of a wheel, a spinning wheel. And he began to shape the clay. And this, when he got done with this lump of mud... That's what it looked like to me. When he got done with it, it was the most beautiful vessel I had ever seen. But what I found to be true is that that lump of mud had no say-so in what it was going to become. And can I tell you, I would rather be in God's hands than in people's. I am really glad that he's the potter. And that I'm the clay. I am really glad that he's molding me. And I'm not telling, my, telling him how I'm supposed to be. Because he does a really good job. God in his sovereignty is orchestrating his master plan. And he shows mercy on whom he wishes. And he hardens the hearts of those who refuse to listen. And the Bible helps us to understand this way better when it says, well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what, what he makes them do? In other words, if God is hardening my heart, why are you blaming me? Have, have you heard that before? As people, we always want to play the blame game. Especially when we are in rebellion to God. Pharaoh was in complete rebellion to God. And he blamed. When we are in our, when you are living in, in a place outside of God and you rebel, can I tell you what you'll do? You'll blame God for what you're going through. Why are you letting this happen? Why do you blame me? Probably because we are to blame. In our stubbornness and in our, in our, in our, in our garbage that we get ourselves into. But, but here's the thing. I love what the Bible says. He says, no, don't say that. 
Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? Beloved, that, that helps me because here I talked about PJ. My, I talked about my life. Give me a little bit of light over here, Mary, if you don't mind. If it, when, when I, when I talk about my old life and, and, and when there were five individuals with me and God brought me out by his sovereignty, had nothing to do with me. But you know what? I thank him for that. And I don't, I don't, I don't go around thinking, well, what about these other people? You know what I say? Say, Lord God, let me be a light to them. Let me be a life change to them. It, it doesn't change with, with natural Israel today. You know what? The Jews are being saved today through Gentiles. Are you with me? And that's going to continue to happen. We have Jews for Jesus that come over here and, and they're going into, into Israel. And Israel and, 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 and that area are hardened. To Jesus. And he's their Messiah. Just like he's our Messiah. Are you with me? And so when I think about the sovereignty of God. That, that, that he's a potter. He's a clay. He's making me who he's making me. Beloved, he's making you who he's making you. And he's molding you into the likeness of Jesus. In everything that we're going through, I want you to think about this. In everything that we go through in life, no matter what, God is molding us and making us more like Christ. All those problems we have, all those things that are going on, think about it. Lord God, you're sovereign. You're working out your plan. That doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that people make choices, okay? I'm not saying, okay, it's not like we're robots. I just did it because God made me this way. No, 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 no. God, God wants to change your life. But he's working through whatever situation is happening in life. Because he's God. And because he's sovereign. You see, this is God's creation and his it's his plan of salvation. And it's a great plan. It's a great plan. The cross, the cross is a great plan. It's foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of the living God. When God's word tells me that he chose me before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in Christ, I embrace it and I receive it. In other words... When God says, before you did anything, James Reese, before you did anything, Ruth West, before you did anything, Mike West, I chose you. I embrace it. Because it's his plan. And you might be thinking, well, you're going Calvinist on me. You're going to, well, I'm just going what the Bible says. And then whenever God's word instructs me to consider myself to be 
dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus and not to let sin control the way that I live and don't give control to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of my body become an instrument of evil to deserve, to, I mean, to serve sin. Instead, I give myself completely to God for I was dead, but now I, am, I have a new life. So I, I use my whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. I, I submit to it. So I'm a Calvinist Arminian, however you can say it. I'm right in the middle. I believe that God chose me before I did anything good. And I submitted myself to that. And I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. And when he says, now that I've saved you, you need to start to walk away from sin. I submit to that. As Pastor Bob said right now, he said, uh, we hate sin. Keep us away from sin. Any child of God, you hate sin. Even though it seems so enticing. And don't lie to yourself or anyone else. Sin seems very enticing. I ate a lot of ice cream last night. I keep telling myself every night, I'm not going to do it this time. Won't do it again, but chip, chip and, you know, chip and mint, man, you can't, you can't stay away from that stuff. See, we need to understand he's the potter. And we're just putty in his hands. I've really come to the place in my life, and believe me, beloved, that, that we all struggle, we all have things. I, I had things happen last week that, you know, hard, never fails. But I understand that I'm, the, I'm, 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 just, I'm just putty in God's hands. And national Israel, can I tell you, God's working out his plan. Quit arguing. Show them love. Show, show people love. Man, some of you guys are taking notes. I see you taking notes. Point number four, in conclusion, let's just put first things first. When it comes to saving people, God's way never changes. He gave the law as a tutor to reveal that no one can be saved by the law. We learned that, right? You know that. Say that to your neighbor. The law was just my tutor. It was just my teacher. It was my schoolmaster. We are in need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And, I, and Roman, Romans 9 concludes like this. What does this all mean? And then he says, even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards. How many of you can fall in that category? Remember when I talk about myself and my story doesn't change because it's a story. Party time, four friends around. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for his standards. I wasn't trying to live for God. But God was looking for me. You with me? It's exactly what he's saying right here. Let me go back and read that. Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards. They were, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel 
who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, they never succeeded. Why not? Because they were not trying to get right with God by, or because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. Let me just, let me just say something. When you try to keep the law, it is going to be you saving yourself. And you never can. When you trust in him, it'll lead you right there to the cross. Every time you trust in God, it will always lead you to the cross. It says, you can't, but he can. You failed, but he did not fail. They stumbled over the great rock in their path, which is Jesus. And God warned, warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. There's no shame in God's game. There's just salvation. There's just eternal life. There's just an abundance of righteousness that he imputes into our lives. And I'm delighted about that. God's word is faithful and true as I close. It guides us to an understanding that we will never be good enough in our own deeds and efforts. In fact, the book of Romans reveals that God's people are those who trust in his righteousness through their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this to you first service. Let's not stumble in our walk with God by pursuing a right standing by works. Hear what I'm saying there. Don't pursue a right standing by what you can do. That doesn't mean you don't do right. It says don't pursue to be right by what you do. Instead, let us keep trusting in the finished work of the cross of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful first service. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. And more than anything, thank you for Jesus. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We embrace your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and just worship our God.